This week on The Outlaw Liar, Josh in studio, Joe working remotely. They're in to discuss the law and how it affects everything around us. And as always, Josh and Joe tackle burning legal questions such as, what is textualism? Is abortion illegal? Did the Founding Fathers want you to carry a concealed weapon? And what is quit claim deed? That's all coming up on this week's edition of The Outlaw Lawyer. And now, Outlaw Lawyer. Welcome into The Outlaw Lawyers. Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer. Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm, they're the managing partners there, practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. Offices conveniently located in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. I'm Morgan Patrick, consumer advocate. We talk legalese each and every week, and you're going to have questions possibly about your situation. We're going to give you an opportunity to get in touch with Whitaker and Hamer. You can call 800 800- 659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. And leave your contact information briefly what your question is about. And a, an attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch. And you can always email your questions to questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. Again, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. We'll use them on a future edition of the program. Gentlemen, we got a lot to talk about today. Good to see Josh in studio and apparently Joe on assignment working remotely, but he is on the show today. Guys, how you doing? Morgan, Morgan, we're doing good. It's uh, it's nice to sit down with you. I feel like I hadn't sat down with you in a week or two. You grew a full beard, man. <laughs> the... Uh, so I, I don't like to shave. I, I've got the goatee. I keep the goatee. Uh, I don't think my kids have ever seen me without a goatee. I will shave every week or two, but the, the beard, especially over kind of a holiday weekend, it really it really comes out fast on me. So, um, Joseph, how was your holiday weekend? Hey, Josh. It was pretty good. Uh, I'm sorry I can't be with you guys right now. I am in my office uh, alone. <laughs> And it's it's very cold in here and dark and lonely, but I also have a, a large beard today. That's good. It's good. It's a uh, it's a beardy kind of week. This first week of July is typically you get, you got a lot of people who uh, are on vacation this week, and so everything slows down. I think just a little bit, uh, kind of across the board. And in, in my life, you know, at work and at home, where'd you do fireworks, Joe? I did fireworks uh, next door at my sister's house. They bought an obnoxious amount of fireworks and. They uh they they drove down to south of the border for for that purchase mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. picked up some some of the good ones man and uh, enjoyed wait, wait, that. Wait 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 wait. Define good ones. Is that that's like a quarter stick of dynamite because you have to go out of the state to get those. Yeah, the, just the good ones, man. The good ones, not I'm the a, crappy with the good ones. I'm gonna tell you something I don't understand. We were up in New York uh, a week or two ago, coming back through Pennsylvania, so we bought some in Pennsylvania. But why? And I've not, I've not I've never researched this. I've never known the answer. But why does, and this goes back to what we were talking about this one time, like when things are illegal, we have to ask questions. Why is this illegal? Why is there a statute against this? Why are we penalizing people for this? Why can't we have good fireworks in North Carolina? I want to know the history behind how like every other state has good fireworks, but we got the, the, you know, the shower of sparks type fireworks. You know what I'm saying? Hey, don't, don't hate on the shower of sparks type fireworks. (laughs) There's some good ones. We got a shower of sparks type fireworks. We, we bought our little pack. We set those off. The kids, the kids will enjoy those, but they're nothing like the real fireworks. (laughs) It's like, it's like everybody else has top shelf and we have well drinks. Yeah. We're like, we're like, everybody else has like, you know, (laughs) real deal fireworks. And we got like snakes and, uh, (laughs) Can't, can't leave the ground. Dude, those snakes are pretty sweet. Man. Those snakes are a wonder of chemistry. Uh, and uh, I think you shouldn't hate on the snakes and the sparklers and the some of those spray spray sparks fireworks. 
some of them are really, really pretty decent, man. Especially if you get like, like 13 inches away from them. It's just like you're watching the big ones. <laughs> I, uh, we're going to do some research on that. We're going to have to research why these things are illegal in North Carolina. Maybe we can start some sort of, uh, grassroots, uh, non-political, uh, campaign to get those legalized in North Carolina. That's the type of thing that I can get behind. We've all just accepted that we have to go out of state to get them. And everybody who, who can just does it. And then uh, everybody's just all right with that. It's just part of life now. But maybe we should ask those questions. Well, speaking of explosions or implosions, uh, you guys have been following the latest on the ACC and, and everything around the ACC. This is one of those things that I can't stop following. There's no real news, but any kind of uh, – and social media is real bad, too, because the algorithms have picked up that I'm interested in conference realignment. Mm. So it keeps floating me all these stories about how – you know, me being an NC State fan, uh, I, I'm worried about where NC State, you know, will end up. And I, I don't know, Joe, have you been following any of that? A little bit, you know, a little bit, not a ton. This is a this is kind of a dead period in sports for me personally. It is because a lot of the, a lot of the sports that I follow are not active right now. So I kind of this is when I kind of uh, shut down the sports part of my life and uh, build up that hunger for when it comes back. So I haven't I haven't been keeping close track of it, but I but I did see some, you know, I have seen a lot of speculation as far as that ACC implosion goes and some speculation about what's going to happen. And uh, I think state will be fine, man. I think state will state will land on their feet. They've got the football thing going for them. And for whatever reason, that football and that football revenue seems to to be king and really the driving force behind a lot of collegiate athletics just because it's, it's big money. Well, you know, all these conferences are based on contracts, right? That's all they are. You know, uh, you know, they keep talking about the ACC grant of rights and I've never read that. I want to get my hands on it and, uh, and read these grant of rights, these TV right contracts that supposedly the only thing propping the ACC together um, and, and read them. Uh, Cause I keep reading these different articles where, Oh, there's just a, it's a 50 million buyout. No, you don't get, you know, your TV rights till 2036. Um, but I'd like to actually read this thing and, and see what the penalty for, for breach is. Um, but I guess we might find out before too long. Cause if you believe all the stories any day now, there'll be no ACC. That's, that's the, that's the way all the rumors are flowing, but we'll, I guess we'll see the, the ACC basketball tournament has been dead for a long time. So I don't have all the feelings I used to have, but it'd still be sad. You, you've explained that. You've explained your apathy for the ACC basketball tournament. But I'm gonna I'm gonna make a a bold prediction. I'm gonna say that if if state starts winning like say seventy percent to eighty percent of their their games, I think you're gonna have a renewed interest in that ACC basketball tournament, my brother. <laughs> Maybe so. I'll remind Naturally. you. Like, I'll remind you like two or three years ago. Uh, Raycom was still doing uh, ACC football, and so I was excited. Football season was starting, and the first ACC game of the week on TV uh, for the season came on. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to watch it. I don't care who it is. I'm just ready to see some ACC football." You know, you're, you know, at the very beginning of the season, how you, how you anyway. The ACC game of the week was Pitt versus Utah, you know, because um, ah. it was like an away game for Pitt. I guess that was all they had the rights to. I was like, an ACC game, Pitt versus Utah. That, like, blew my mind. Um, Utah's a powerhouse program. I, I, maybe better than Pitt. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I was very disappointed. I did not watch that game, but it disgusted me, and uh, I, I just made a mental note of that. But uh, a lot of legal stuff to talk about, Joseph, uh, today, so we're going to We've talked about it a couple of times, but we haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks. Uh, the Dodd case, 
the 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 ruling that came down on on abortion from the Supreme Court. It's been talked about a lot. I want to actually look at the opinion a little bit and kind of look down the road, which I've seen some news outlets do, uh, but just talk about what happened. Sometimes when these things get reported on. They don't always do a good job. Sometimes they do, but outlets don't always do a good job reporting on what actually is in the opinion and what the court was was trying to do. You just look at what what happened, right? And what happened is is a big deal, very newsworthy. But sometimes we sometimes the actual ruling gets lost. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Dodd case, uh, a case that we spent some time on, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Braun decision. That was the concealed carry case at a. New York, and that decision came down. I wanted to follow up on that because I don't think we've talked about that uh, since oral argument. So we'll talk about that a little in the Second Amendment. And then we got a couple of listener questions. So we'll talk about some real-life situations uh, that we we get at the law firm and, and kind of give you a little bit of information on on those, give you some knowledge that, that hopefully will be beneficial to you. Uh, but that's what I got lined up for us today, Morgan. All right. The Outlaw Liars, Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer. You can find them at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm. They're the managing partners there and practicing attorneys here in the state of North Carolina. Again, Whitaker and Hamer in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gary. Gastonia, so conveniently located offices. If you have a legal situation that you are facing and you just have questions, I've got a phone number for you, 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. Leave your contact information, briefly what your call is about, and an attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be on the phone with you shortly. And you can always email your questions to the program, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. And please go check out the website, theoutlawlawyer.com. A lot on the program today. Coming up next, Dodd Abortion Law Fallout. We'll talk about that next on The Outlaw Lawyer. back into the outlaw lawyer josh whitaker and joe hamer of whitaker and hamer law firm managing partners there practicing attorneys here in the great state of north carolina offices conveniently located raleigh garner clayton goldsboro fuquay verena and gastonia and folks i'm morgan patrick consumer advocate we get into legalese each and every week and we have a little fun uh, along the way but it's very serious discussion and this next one guys it's all over the news yeah, Morgan, the, the Dodd case, and this is one we we spent a whole show talking about the opinion when it leaked uh, and what it and what it would mean. And obviously, the final opinion came out. Uh, it was it was very similar to the to leaked opinion. Uh, they added a concurring opinion from Justice Thomas, and then there were the dissenting opinion, uh, which I think I think Breyer wrote that that opinion. So we got the full opinion. We had a chance to read it. It's been, of course, widely reported on. It's a it's a big case. It's a case we'll be talking about for years and years and years. Um, and the fallout from it is 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 not over. Um, Joe, you might remember facts on the Dodd case. This is one where we had a, a, a an abortion clinic uh, suing a, a state. Was it? I can't remember. I think it was Mississippi. Uh, I don't have the facts in front of me. But they had a law. They passed a state law saying. Um, you know, you couldn't couldn't get abortion after 15 weeks. Uh, that is uh, in violation of Roe v. Wade, in direct violation. And so this case went to the Supreme Court, and so that's what was presented by the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, uh, I don't know that we we would have predicted this one. I, I I thought that the court was going to limit abortion, but here, uh, five four decision, they they reversed Roe v. Wade. Um, 
And Joe, we've talked about how how the Roe v. Wade and 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 the cases after it used this uh, substantive due process in in the Constitution and kind of created this right or read into the Constitution this right of privacy. And this logic has been used in a lot of cases. Roe v. Wade. Uh, until recently was the biggest example. But, um, you know, this got me thinking, and I read I read some opinion pieces uh, in different newspapers, but we started talking about uh, textualism. Text, text, say that for me. Textualism. Yeah. So reading... The, Substantive. <laughs> reading the Constitution uh, verbatim, right? Just looking at the words, on the, not reading anything into it, just looking at the Constitution um, and, and taking it at, at, at face level and not... Uh, you know, not try to read anything else into it, but you know, this right of privacy that, that got created uh, and was used in, in Roe v. Wade, um, the court doesn't like it, right? It's, it's not a, a, a good way. The court has shown that it's not going to use that same rationale, at least this court. That That's right, Josh. And, you know, you go back and you, you reference the fact that we, we talked about this. I think we talked about this a few times before, before the actual decision came down. We talked about it pre-leak. We talked about it post-leak. And you referenced the fact that you don't think we really predicted it would go this way. Um, I'm going to just conveniently ignore that and pretend like uh, it never happened. <laughs> right. Uh, I can't recall our exact prediction, but I, I don't think we hit it on the nose, if, if anything. I'm going to be very vague and say we got close. Say we got close. Well, I don't, but, think, we, uh, I don't think we made an official prediction. That's I'm, right. That's what I'm we did record. not. Right, yeah. Yeah, we generally will avoid an official prediction when we, um, when, when we just don't know. And I don't think we knew here. I think we knew something was going to occur, but I, I think it's safe to say we, we probably didn't anticipate it rising to the level that it, that it rose to and, and such a drastic change and, and, and harsh critique and, and just complete slapping down of that Roe v. Wade ruling. And, you know, you mentioned the substantive due process and, and how that's been used in, in several cases. You know, it's been, it's been a, a principle that's been applied numerous times, and, and, and the court here is, is almost forcing you to, to, to look back at every case that's, that's used it the way that they're analyzing that concept. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, you know I, again, we don't, we, we go out of our way to be non-political. That's not, a, that's not the point of, of our time here. Um, but I, I do feel like at times I, I have to just be be honest, and so I'm not I'm not here to say abortions uh, right or wrong. That's not up for me uh, to decide. But I do agree a lot with the court. You know, on you know the Constitution is the Constitution. It's not a very long document. You know, it's not. Uh, certainly, there's some things that are up for debate in it. How to interpret certain clauses and you know, where a certain comma comes in and, and what that means. So you can do that kind of stuff all day. But in the end, we're left with the writing. Um, and I've, I've always been one where, you know, something says what it says and, and we can interpret it a little. But I'm not I've never been a big fan of reading rights, you know, into the Constitution or saying, well, the founders would have done this or I think we can take this clause and 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 it 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 means this and so what I think what the court did here, or the way I read the opinion, is the court said this reasoning is is flawed. You know, when you read the Constitution, there's no constitutional enumerated constitutional right to abortion, and I think what the court did here is that reasoning is is you know not good, 
Um, we're not we're not going to continue with it. We think it was erroneous at the time. We think it's still erroneous. It's still wrong. We're going to correct it now. Better better late than never. And so that's where we got into the conversation about stare decisis and precedent and uh, what does that do to the court when they ignore settled law and 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 here they didn't care. They, like here they they were like, well, we don't like it. We never liked it. And and here it is. But this I think this is important. And I've I've seen this reported. Like abortion's not illegal on a federal level. That's not what the Supreme Court did. They said, you know, there's no constitutional right to abortion. We're not legislators. You're duly elected uh, legislators. They need, they're the ones who, who need to take this up and, and decide. And of course, they haven't, right? You know, there's been no, there's been no uh, action uh, legislatively to, you know, ease the Congress could easily just say, hey, abortion's legal. Here's the statute doesn't matter what the states do, uh, but that hasn't happened. So now we're left, you know, every state's left up to itself. And you've seen how that goes. You know, you've got states all across the board. Yeah. And, you know, you, it, you mentioned that, Josh, the fact that this is, you know, it's not an outright prohibition of abortion. And I think, I think, again, you get into the, the kind of the echo chamber of social media and you get into a lot of, a lot of the, the real partisan way that news is presented. And I'd be willing to bet that there's a lot of folks really fired up that that just aren't adequately informed about the issue and probably do assume that, you know, this ruling outlaws abortion completely. I, I would not be surprised if there's a, a decent chunk of the population that thinks that when again, that's not the case. Like you said, it's not, it's not federally illegal. Um, it, and, uh, and, and it could easily be legislated and, and, and there could be a law that's passed that says, you know, this is something that can be done across the board and, and that's not something that's being prevented in any manner, but that's not the, that's, I haven't seen any, any real movement on that front as, as far as on a federal level. But like you said, you, we've seen widely varying approaches to this state by state, which is to be understood because, you know, states, different state states have different demographics and different ideals and different ideologies. And so you're going to see a kind of a widely varying approach to this. Yeah, so you've seen some states, New York is, is undertaking uh, amending their constitution. I don't know the process, and I haven't read the story, but there looks like maybe they've got the votes necessary to amend the constitution of the, their state to include abortion as a constitutional right. Uh, you've seen states like Texas and, and some other southern states kind of already had laws on the books, right? You know, if Roe v. Wade is ever overturned, you know, abortion is, is illegal. You've seen some states... Uh, you know, there's a big story about a, a girl in Ohio who uh, sounds like maybe it had been raped, very young girl, was trying to get an abortion, um, missed a six week deadline that I guess is on the books. I think it was Ohio. I didn't read the, I didn't read a lot of it, but I had to go to a different state. And uh, you see a lot of states who are trying to find ways to penalize people who go out of state to to get abortion. So it's just it's like the Wild West in, in abortion law right now. There's no there's not even anything close to uniformity and that. You know, honestly, from a attorney perspective, that's that's the biggest problem is, you know, how how is it going to be treated uh, in different states? And, and um, it, it really is just going to be wide open, you know, until something's done on the federal level. And I think that's what everybody, you know, everybody is, is you know, either super happy with the Supreme Court, you know, decision or they're really angry about it. Uh, there's not a lot of people who are middle of the road on this issue. Um, but those, you know, your elected representatives can make, you know, depending on what side you fall on, they can make this right or, you know, it, I just don't see where we, I don't see where we 
it's not a it's not a very smooth path forward. I think is the best way to say it right now. It's a very rocky path forward, Josh. I think is is <laughs> is the best way to describe it. And you know, very very interesting. This the way that this this critique of that substantive due process. Um, you know, you could you could really read that into some other precedents, like you like you you mentioned in your notes here, and um, the fact that you know. It, that was basically called uh, demonstrably erroneous um, and that there's a duty to correct the error established in those precedents. That's, that's, that's strong wording being used there. Yeah. That was from the, the Thomas uh, dissent. So uh, justice Alito wrote the main opinion and is the one, you know, you might remember went through all the history of how abortion has been treated in the United States and, 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 and went on to say that, you know, this, this doesn't necessarily affect other, rights that we've read in because you can, you know, same-sex marriage, uh, you know, other reproductive rights that have used the same uh, logic uh, to, to say we have a constitutional right that this is protected. You know, Alito says the court's not coming after these other things, uh, but this is before them and they want to correct it. But in Thomas's dissent, he, he specifically says, you know, we should look at all this other stuff now. And, and, and this, is our, this is our chance to fix all this stuff based on flawed uh, constitutional, uh, logic, but, uh, I don't know, Joe, I don't want, you know, people are going to be talking about this for a long time. I mean, we're, we're years and years and years. We're going to see the, the way this decision affects, uh, everything around us. That's right. And, and it'll be interesting to see how it develops. Uh, I have, I'm going to go ahead and refrain from making any further <laughs> bold predictions, <laughs> And um, but it'll be very, very interesting to see how this progresses, how this plays out and, and what kind of the ripple effects of it are. There you have it, folks. The outlaw lawyer, again, a very uh, delicate subject to talk about. It is top of the headlines in the news. Again, the Dodd abortion law fallout. Uh, it will be back on the show from time to time, I know, as uh, it continues to be a hot button issue. You are listening to the outlaw lawyers, Josh Whitaker and Joe Hammer. You can find them at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm. So, And we want to thank you for listening. I tell you, uh, we've kind of got our niche on the weekends and talking about the legalese. And if you've got a situation that you are facing and you just have questions that you need answers to, jot this number down and call it 800 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. And just leave your contact information, briefly what the call is about, and an attorney will return that call shortly. And also, you can always email your questions to the program, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. We'll use those questions on a future show. We'll change the names around, but you know what? You'll get an answer to your question that way as well. And check out the website, theoutlawlawyer.com. We've got more coming up on the program today. Next up, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus the Bruin decision. That's coming up next on The Outlaw Lawyer. The Outlaw Lawyer, Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer. Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm, they're the managing partners. They're practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. They have offices conveniently located in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. And we understand, look, there are legal situations you may be facing and you may have questions. Great resource for you. Call the firm, 800 800- 659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. Leave your contact information. 
briefly what that call is about, and an attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch with you. And you can always email your questions to the program, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. We are going to get into our next portion of the program. Gentlemen, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus the Bruin decision. Yeah, uh, Morgan, I've I've heard people pronounce this two ways. I've heard Bruin and Braun, so I don't know which way is correct. That was our... Well, I'm from North Carolina. I look at B-R-U-E-N and I say Bruin, but it could be Braun. (laughs) Well, I I always tell people if there's any way I can mispronounce a name, I'm going to do it. I'm the worst person at pronouncing. Dude, I'm Ron Burgundy. (laughs) You put it in front of me and I say it. (laughs) Bruin, Bruin. This reminds... I don't know why this reminds me of this. This reminds me of the... uh, You heard of the Mandela effect, Joshua? Yeah. Yeah, the the Bernstein and Bernstein bears. I don't know why this triggers that in me. But tomato, it, but it tomato. Yes. <laughs> the uh, so so over the past week or two, the the Supreme Court has been dropping just bomb after bomb on everybody, uh, just releasing all these opinions at the end of their uh, session. And so, of course, the Dodd case that we talked about last segment, um, that's that's been the one that's garnered the most attention because it was the Supreme Court taking away a previously uh, a constitutional right that they had uh, had originally read into the Constitution, so they're taking that away. Of course, that's always going to be big news no matter what the subject matter. And, of course, abortion makes – that being the subject matter makes it even more controversial. Uh, but but even, a, even kind of a bigger decision and kind of the other side of the coin, you know, uh, the constitutional right to abortion as it, as it existed was kind of read into the Constitution, was uh, not enumerated, as we would say um, – this is the other side of the coin. Uh, this is the the Second Amendment, your right to bear arms, which is, you know, you can argue about exactly what it means, but it's clearly a right that is, you know, it's the Bill of Rights. It's it's something that the founding fathers thought was extremely important, so much so that it was, uh, you know, the, the second uh, right listed there in the Bill of Rights. So um, I saw a lot of people trying to draw, uh, you know, I saw a lot of people on, on social media and in the regular media just saying that, you know, okay, well, we don't have the right to abortion, but we have the right to carry uh, a concealed weapon, you know, and, and, and just kind of comparing those two things. But these are two different things from a legal perspective. It's a, it's a right that was uh, kind of read into the Constitution, and then there's a right that's clearly uh, laid out in the Constitution. And so in this case, you may remember New York has a very strict concealed carry. You know, New York, Chicago, California, um, they have very strict state gun laws, right? So you have your federal gun laws, but then states can obviously be stricter. Uh, and, and those are the states that are, that kind of have the strictest gun laws in the, in the country. Uh, New York's concealed carry, you had to show, uh, you had like an exceptional need, an exceptional cause to, when you applied for your permit and you had to get references. And, and the argument here in this case was that a lot of those, uh, applications just get denied and there's no grievance process. There's no appeals process. The state just says, no, you didn't demonstrate, you know, this need, this factor that we need from you. Uh, this factor is not really defined anywhere in the statute, what it is. And again, if this, if this, you know, government official says you can't have one, you can't have a concealed carry permit and you just don't get it. And that was it. And so that's what this lawsuit came from. Uh, they had all kinds of problems with this statute. And uh, Joe, I don't know if you got to if you got to read this opinion, but it was it was kind of short as far as Supreme Court opinions go. Uh, but Clarence Thomas wrote this opinion, uh, Justice Thomas, and he he kind of threw all the old uh, Second Amendment uh, case law out the books again. You know, it's, it's not really getting rid of precedent necessarily, but he said we're going to examine these laws in a new way. 
and uh, his exact language on this, I got to find it in my notes. The constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second-class right subject to an entirely different body of rules than the other Bill of Rights guarantees. And so he's talking about freedom of religion, uh, you know, freedom of speech. The, the, the right to bear arms has, has kind of been treated differently in case law up to this point. And, and they're saying, no, they're saying this is an express right. And, uh, you know, if you're going to, you know, states, obviously there's, there's limits that they can put on this right, just like any other right, but it needs to be done in a certain way. And, and so that was, uh, it's kind of a different line of thinking for, uh, the right to bear arms, especially in states that really try to restrict that. Yeah, Josh, you know, we had a, we're looking at a six, three decision here and where you have the majority ruling that, that New York law is unconstitutional and effectively what the ruling was, was that the you know, that possession of pistols in public is, is a guaranteed constitutional right under the Second Amendment. And, you know, state licensing on firearms is not necessarily an infringement on that right, as long as, as the states stay within the, the what we call shall issue systems, which, uh, which can only condition licenses upon satisfying objective criteria, as opposed to the may issue systems, which which seem to contain more arbitrary evaluations uh, as opposed to, to more objectively verifiable criteria. So, you know, an, an example of, of objective criteria would be like, a, you know, a standardized background check as opposed to, to some of the more arbitrary evaluations that have been proposed that that are now being being deemed unconstitutional, such as like a, you know, I, I think social media evaluations were, were referenced in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but it's basically just an, an an attempt to you know keep arbitrary infringements of this right from from being made into law. So when this when this decision came down, I was actually in New York, and so I was watching the local news. I was in upstate New York. I wasn't in New York City, but I was watching the local news up there. And the governor and everybody else in the in government is just this decision. They very angry about it and uh, very defiant. You know, we talked a little bit. Uh, ago about what happens when states just don't listen to the federal government. You know, we talked about that on the show. Uh, you know, we, we've got all this disagreement uh, in partisan politics. And at what point do states stop listening to the federal government? And, uh, you know, anyway, but but neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, New York, their governor, she was up there and uh, she was not happy with this and, and said they she's working with their attorney general and they already had a new law and yeah it had a social media component you know that you're that you're going to be evaluated and they put in a grievance process so if you're denied it can go to appeal so they were trying to to cater to some of the things the supreme court said but um you know i it, it was it was good here you know there was a there was another quote here from the decision it is undisputed that the petitioner so that the two folks who got denied their concealed carry permit and and filed this action uh, it's undisputed that the petitioners, two ordinary law-abiding adult citizens, are part of the people whom the Second Amendment protects. Um, and I think that's a good—I think that's a good way to think about this. You know, the governor uh, of New York, when she was talking, she mentioned the Buffalo shooting was like six weeks ago, so that was that grocery store shooting, which was horrible. And then you had the school shooting, and then uh, and then since then we've we've had the Fourth of July shooting up there in, in Chicago area. So uh, definitely troublesome. At, at the least. Uh, but I always, I always worry, you know, when something like this happens, it's terrible. We want to stop it. We don't want this to happen. Um, but the first thing everybody does is like, 
restrict what a, how a law-abiding citizen can can get a firearm, and 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 that's a slippery slope. And and especially nowadays, you know, um, people don't have to cool off, right? People can just take to social media immediately with their whatever they have on the top of their heads. You know, I that was a we had to take negotiations in law school. Did you have to take that, Joseph? Negotiations. I, I didn't have to take it. I could have taken it. I chose not to take <laughs> see. It. All right. Well, we took negotiations, and uh, and one of the things that I, I picked up in class, especially, and you know that you can text and you can email. You know, a good part of negotiation is is letting things sit in, right? When you get an offer, right? Let's say you're trying to settle a personal injury case. There's been a car accident. You're going back and forth with the insurance company, um, and you know, there's offers made back and forth. You know, sitting on it. You know, not letting some letting some time pass and i think our professor at the time back in the day said uh you know maybe just write a letter right maybe don't even email everybody wants to email maybe you just write a letter and you let that letter get delivered in the mail and you let them sit on the letter and and you slow down negotiations to think about it and uh your knee-jerk reaction isn't always the the best idea um and i think that's i think that's what here you know when something like this happens everybody's real quick to you know, we need age limits. We need, you know, whatever we need, or we'll make concealed carries so hard to get that no one can get them. I, I don't know that that's the answer. I don't know that that helps. I don't think limiting the rights of law abiding citizens, no matter what the topic is, uh, is ever the answer. And, and so, like, like we said earlier, this was an, this is an enumerated right. Um, this was another, this was another, uh, quote here that I thought was important. It says nothing in the second amendment's text draws a home, public distinction with respect to the right to keep and bear arms and the definition of bear naturally encompasses public carry Uh, moreover the second amendment guarantees an individual right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation so here they're defending the law the law abiding citizen who has the right to defend themselves in their home they're also saying in in public and so that's kind of a new uh, thought process. So it'll be interesting to see how the states, you know, most states have a concealed carry process and, and most, um, you know, here in North Carolina, it's, it's, you know, definitely not difficult. There's a background check. Uh, you got to take a class. Um, and I've done all that, you know, I've got, I've got the concealed carry. Uh, you don't have yours, do you, Joe? No, no, I don't. So I just try to be. I try to be around you so you can <laughs> use your your gun to protect me if it so goes south. Right, that's right. So you're ripe to be attacked at any any given moment. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned you know knee jerk reactions and you know re- just just uh, you know blanket restrictions aren't aren't the play. But but I think it's also important to note, you know, this ruling doesn't state that that state licensing of firearms and restrictions are on their face unpermitted you know that that it's it's actually the opposite of that they just have to be they have to be reasonable they can't be arbitrary and you know i think it's important that we clarify you know i see i think something we and 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 most reasonable folks agree on is is the fact that there there are definitely a place for restrictions and and i don't think that we would advocate for there to be just it just be the wild west and there be no restrictions in place uh but but it's very important to to be intelligent about how we go about that, and and you don't want to restrict the ability of you know good, decent, law-abiding citizens to to protect themselves, and because that's specifically what you know that that provision of the Constitution is designed to guarantee, and, and I think it comes back to previous discussions we've had. I mean, clearly, clearly, if you look at you know our country and you look at the the 
things that have occurred recently and just the sheer volume of mass shootings and things of that nature. I, I think it's you would be hard pressed to argue that there is not an issue with with gun violence and and with with issues, you know, events of that nature occurring. But I think, again, we come back to the fact that 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 it has to be a multifaceted, multi-angle approach to solving that problem. It can't strictly be, well, we're going to just throw these blanket restrictions on gun owners and we're going to do all these different things to prevent ownership. Uh, that could be a piece of it. It just has to be intelligent. But there's also some other elements that need to be looked in. And and, it, and again, it's just going to it's going to it's an issue that needs to be solved, but it has to become at you know you got to come at it from various angles and i do not have the answer to to, to what those angles are i want to make that clear <laughs> but i just think you can't be short-sighted in how you approach you know solving that issue i know we're coming up against a break but i i, I have a lot of uh i have a lot of family in law enforcement and they used to always tell me uh the bad guys don't care what the laws are you know and so i would i would say hey the bad guys don't care uh what laws New York makes, you know, if a bad guy wants to get a gun, a bad guy's going to get a gun and, and, and making it harder for the regular guy to, to protect themselves is, uh, is, is a difficult one to swallow sometimes, but, uh, lots more to talk about. We'll stop talking about guns for eight minutes and talk about something else. All right, there you go, folks. Outlaw Lawyer, we will roll on. Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer, managing partners at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm and practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. I tell you, a touchy subject, a lot of people in on this. If you have a question about something that you're going through from a legal standpoint, here's a phone number for you, 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. And just leave your contact information, briefly what the call is about. An attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch. And you can always email your questions to the program questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. And speaking of questions, we've got listener questions coming up on the other side. You're listening to The Outlaw Lawyer. Welcome back into the Outlaw Lawyers. Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer are your hosts. They're the managing partners at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm. Conveniently located offices in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. And they are practicing attorneys here in the great state of North Carolina. I'm Morgan Patrick, consumer advocate, and I kind of steer the ship a little bit. Uh, if you've got a legal situation you're facing, you've got questions, you can always call the firm, 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. Leave your contact info, briefly what the call's about, and an attorney will be in touch with you from Whitaker and Hamer. And you can always email your questions to the show, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. And speaking of that, now we get into some listener questions, always a very popular segment. Well, Morgan, one of the one of the reasons we do this show, uh, one of the good things I like about this show is that we do have folks call in, um, and we usually we try to talk to everybody that calls in. We don't always get back uh, to everybody right away, but we have gotten back to to everybody who emails us or uh, texts us or or calls us. And so I talked to, I think I talked to five or six listeners uh, last week just about things they had going on. Some the firm could help with, uh, some they just kind of needed some general general direction. Um, but it's always fun to talk to folks. Uh, and, and so this is a, this came from a, a, it wasn't really the the question they were asking me, but this is something that we talked about one of our listeners. Um, and so I kind of rephrased the question to get it into a, a format that we can talk about here on the show. Uh, but basically I got a special warranty deed at closing, right? So this, this person, uh, this fictional person that we've made up, 
they went and they bought a house from, let's say, a builder. Um, it doesn't have to be a builder, but let's make it a builder for our scenario. And they they went to closing and they got their deed recorded. Uh, and then when they got the deed, the deed was called a, a special warranty deed. And, and uh, it's not something they had maybe talked about a lot before closing. So they, they were kind of surprised here in our scenario. And so I thought this was a good idea to talk about uh, your deed, the deed to your home or your investment property or your your beach condo or whatever it may be in North Carolina is there's, there's three types of, of deed. Um, and so the question came to be, what's the difference between a special warranty deed, a general warranty deed and a quick claim deed. And there's other types, you know, you'll see a trustees deed or, you know, there's other types of deeds we could talk about. These are the three you see the most. Um, Joe, what's a special warranty deed? Man, I tell you what, this is the type of conversation that really gets my my blood boiling, and and uh, I get very passionate about my deeds. So I had to get up and turn the fan on because I was getting hot in here, <laughs> thinking about this this riveting deed discussion. So, um, but yeah, you set that up beautifully, Josh. Uh, causes a lot of confusion with folks. Um, like you said, three three generally three types of deeds, and and we start off with the most. I'd say the most common that we see from day to day, which is that the general warranty deed. And so basically what a general warranty deed is, 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 you know, your seller or you, if you are conveying this property to someone, you're stating that you are, you're going to warrant just generally against any kind of title issue that there may be out there. You're defending the title that you're conveying and you're representing that that title is good uh, against all comers, whether it be people from before you in the chain of title, uh, obviously nothing after the fact that you convey the property out, but you're just basically saying that not only are you going to warn against, you know, the time that you had the property, but you're going to say, you know, anything prior to this, I'm, I'm willing to, to warrant and, and basically guarantee that there are no kind of outstanding issues and that I'm conveying good title to you. Yeah. So someone comes to, comes to me or Joe and say, you know what, guys, I've got this piece of real property under contract. I got to close in 30 days. I need a, I need a title search. So we get busy in North Carolina. There's a statute in play, but basically most searches you're, you're going to go 30 years uh, or more uh, to establish ownership, to establish what we call marketable title. And so we're going to, we're going to go back to that, that first deed 30 years or so back um, and then, and then come forward. And so your seller uh, you know, if everything looks good, your seller would give you a general warranty deed and you're closed. It's, it's your house. You're all done. Uh, but let's say you come to find out like 180 years ago, uh, some guy granted a, a utility easement that's never been used. Uh, but now let's say the gas company, you know, wants to use it. And so they send you a letter saying, hey, we got an easement. Your closing attorney might not have seen it because it was 180 years ago or 115 or 80, you know, whatever, whatever the time period is. Um, your general warranty deed, you go back against your seller on that. That's something you can sue even after closing uh, certain things you can still sue a seller for. So general warranty deed, uh, a seller would be liable in that situation because they gave you a warranty that, hey, it's as good as it gets. Um, so that's a general warranty deed. And that's what you get at most close at most standard closings where you're buying a house, uh, you're going to get a general warranty deed. But however, there's many instances where uh, usually like a corporate seller, uh, maybe uh, someone who flips properties and doesn't really hold on to them very long. Uh, there's a lot of folks that'll say, hey, I'll sell you this property, but I'll only give you a special warranty deed. And so what is that, Joseph, a special warranty deed? So like you said, we see this a lot with you know some, some of these larger national builders, uh, some corporate sellers, but, but basically the special warranty deed, you're still going to be getting a, a, a warranty. Your seller is still warranting 
something to you, but it's going to be restricted and limited from what you will get from a general warranty deed. So basically what the seller is going to warrant to you is they're not going to say any, you know, they're not speaking as to prior to their ownership of the property. They're saying from the time that they acquired this property, they themselves have done nothing to impair the title. They have, you know, they've got no liens or judgments or other kind of issues that would affect title to the property. Uh, and, and they're going to warrant against anything from the date they, they acquired forward. But anything prior to that, anything that predated their ownership, you know, that's that's something that they're not going to defend against. So the, the practical effect of that is, is if, the, if you were conveyed by special warranty deed a property and you discover a, a title defect, say you go to sell that property and there's a title defect that, that pops up from prior to that that seller's ownership. You know, they're going to have no liability to you for any of those issues as far as the warranty that's provided by that deed. And and. And, and with that, I would also say that you're still, even if you agree to that, and that's something you contract for, right? That's something that when you, you say, hey, I'll pay $250 uh, for this property, and I'll agree that I'll take a, a special warranty deed. So that's something you negotiate. Um, and so you've you've agreed to take a special warranty deed, but you're still going to take that to a closing attorney, hopefully Whitaker and Hamer. Uh, but you're going to take that to a closing attorney, and that closing attorney is still going to do the same search, the same title search they would for any other closing. So you're still going to have an attorney uh, here in North Carolina. It's an attorney examine uh, title, but a special warranty deed is, is different. It's, it's, uh, it's less of a, uh, a little bit less of a commitment from your seller. And then if we keep on going down the line, uh, you know, we got, we got a quick claim deed next. And, and so I think some people get special warranty deeds and quick claims confused, but Joe, what's a quick claim? I'll tell you what people get confused is they get confused over the fact that it's actually called a quit as in Q U I T claim deed, as opposed to a quick Q U I C K claim D. That's one of the that's one of the big issues we see, brother. That's a pet peeve of mine. I know. I saw an uh, I, I, I saw an attorney, an out of state attorney, draft a, a North Carolina deed. I don't think I, maybe they were licensed in North Carolina. It's a whole different discussion, but it came through as a quick with a C K D. Now that bothered me too. I, I was sure. Yeah, I we can't that speak. Out. We can't speak to what the quick claim deed does, but uh, the quick claim deed. Basically, what you have when you have a quick claim deed, it's, you know, we talked about the general warranty, which is extremely broad, defends against all comers, the special warranty, which is more limited and just defends against the, the time that the, that seller owned the property. Then you've got the quick claim deed, which is basically, I'm giving you what I got. I don't know what it is. I'm making no warranty as to my title in this property. I may not even have title in this property. I could have no interest in it whatsoever. I'm giving you what I have, uh, whether that be a fractional interest whether it be encumbered by 16,000 liens, there's there's no representation being made, and I'm not warranting against literally anything. I am just giving you what I've got. So that could be good. It could be perfectly fine. There could be no issue, or it could be horrible, and you could be you know taking on a terrible, terrible problem. Um, but the quick claim deed is just, you're getting what I've got. Deal with it. Yeah, so a quick claim deed, you see that pop up a lot between spouses who are maybe getting divorced or, or have separated. So you'll see one spouse quick claim their interest, uh, you know, to the to the other spouse. Or you'll see that if like eight people inherit a piece of property, somebody, you know, the heirs will start, you know, if somebody's agreeing to buy buy them out, they'll start quick claiming their interest to. Uh, uh, but but that's where you usually see those. You usually don't see those in like what I would call a normal closing where you've gone you've gone under contract to buy a house from a builder. You're you're not going to see a quick claim. That's not what really when they're used. But that's kind of the step ladder. You know, general warranty deed. Then underneath that's a special warranty deed, and then way 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 down low uh, is the quick claim deed. But that is a quick. 
I say quick. I felt like it was a quick. That's a quick primer on the different deeds in North Carolina and an answer to our first listener question today. We have a second one coming up next. Quit claim. There not you. quit claim. There you go. Don't upset Josh Whitaker. The Outlaw Lawyers, Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer, Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm, where you can find a managing partners there. And again, practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. If you've got your own legal question, you can always contact the firm by calling 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. Leave your contact information and briefly what that call is about. An attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be calling you back. You can always email your questions to the program. That's questions at the Outlaw Lawyers. Another listener question coming up on the other side. Again, you're listening to The Outlaw Lawyers. Welcome back to The Outlaw Lawyers. Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer, managing partners at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm. Offices conveniently located for you at Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. And a reminder, managing partners and practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. We've got a short segment, but we have another listener question. So this has come up a time or two. Uh, a lot of people, you know, uh, when I grew up, my family, we didn't need a lawyer very often. So I think my whole, you know, uh, childhood to early adulthood, you know, my family probably had a closing or two, a ticket or two, did some wills, you know, just uh, kind of normal uh, lawyer needs. And so I think, uh, growing up, I didn't really understand this until I was a lawyer, but I wanted to, one of our listener questions is basically how does a lawyer get paid? And the way I phrased it was I went to see a lawyer and had to pay uh, a consultation fee to meet with that lawyer. I thought the lawyer would only get paid if they recovered money for me. And, and so the question basically is how do lawyers get paid? And the answer is it's different, right? It's different depending on, uh, the circumstances. So you see, I think most people just in their daily routine, you know, you'll, you, if you watch TV, you see the, the personal injury attorneys, uh, who run ads and, and, and Joe, what kind of fee would a, a, an attorney charge usually for personal injury? So what a shame that, that, that lawyers are getting paid for the work that they're doing. Josh. <laughs> just a, just a tragedy, man. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's different types of fees and, and there's really two primary ways that, that fees are assessed. And, and one of those methods is the contingent fee. And like you said, Josh, uh, you're going to see those contingent fees primarily it, with personal injury cases. And, and what you see there is a situation where uh, the attorney's not going to be getting paid unless there is a recovery for the client. And then the, the attorney is generally going to be getting a percentage of that recovery as their fee. Um, that that does happen and and again like we said that is the that's the standard for personal injury cases as opposed to the the other method of billing which is the hourly rate and again that can be a flat fee but we'll just call it hour hourly because it's it's the opposite of contingent where recovery is is of no consequence uh you know there's not always going to be a, your case may not always be the type where there is going to be a recovery that that's going to be generated from from your representation um, or, or a monetary recovery. And there's still going to be a, a substantial amount of time, energy, effort, work expended by your attorney in that process. So some things are going to be billed in that contingent manner. Again, that's going to generally be the, the PI that we see, the personal injury. And then I'd say the majority of things are actually going to be the more traditional hourly 
or flat fee billing where your attorney is going to be collecting either a fee up front uh, or they're going to be billing you hourly based on the amount of time they put into your case. Because one thing one thing about litigation and one thing about litigating is it's you know, you can have an informed idea of what that's going to cost, the time it's going to going to take and what's going to go into it. But but it's unpredictable and it can it can widely vary. So a lot of times the only way to to accurately, you know, as an attorney account for the amount of work that's going to go in, the time's going to go in is is to handle it on the hourly basis where you can you know, you're just going to have to collect as you go because you never know what is going to be required. Yeah, and just to give you some examples, just just from when I was growing up, right? So if we needed, if my family needed a you know a ticket, uh, an attorney to handle a, a speeding ticket or, or or something like that, that's usually a flat fee. So the attorney's gonna be like, all right, you got a speeding ticket, you're going twenty over in whatever county, I charge blank to do that, and if you pay me blank, I will do that. So that's kind of a, a flat fee situation. I was in a car accident, right, where there were the other driver had insurance, and that turned into a personal injury matter. So when we say personal injury, we're we're talking about car accidents, slip and falls, you know, things like that. So where someone was negligent and you were hurt as a result. Um, and, and then, like you said, Joe, a lot of times attorneys will be like, all right, you don't have to pay anything out of pocket. Uh, we're going to recover. I think your case is worth this. Um, and I'll take a third of it when it settles or whatever that attorney, you know, takes for contingency. Um, and then the hourly fee a lot of times comes up in, in kind of the business law world. You know, if you're suing someone for breach of contract, or we're trying to work out a easement issue with your with your neighbor. Uh, most attorneys, uh, some might, but most attorneys won't do a flat fee, won't do a contingency fee. That wouldn't make sense there. They'll do an hourly. They say, hey, I charge blank an hour. I think this will take about five hours. Um, this is what I think it'll cost you, and this is this is our fee agreement. You know, so uh, really, just depending on what you need from the attorney. Um, and then again, every attorney is a little bit different. You know, there's none of this is set in stone. So depending on the attorney you're talking to and the matter and the time and their experience, all these things kind of go into fees and, and how they're charged. But uh, anybody you talk to should be upfront with you about what they, you know, what the attorney expects you to pay and, and why and, and, and things like that. But I always get a lot of questions about fees. And so I thought that would be a, a good question to get answered today. The Outlaw Lawyers, Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer, another one in the books. You can find Josh and Joe at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm. They're the managing partners there, and they're the practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. Offices conveniently located Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. If you're facing a legal situation, you've got a question, here's a number for you, 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. And leave your contact information, briefly what that call is about. An attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch, and you can Always email your questions to the program, The Outlaw Lawyer, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. And please check out that website. It's a good one, theoutlawlawyer.com. Another great show in the books. We'll talk to you next week right here on the radio. hosted by an attorney licensed to practice law in North Carolina. Some of the guests appearing on the show may be licensed North Carolina attorneys. Discussion of this show is meant to be general in nature and in no way should the discussion be interpreted as legal advice. Legal advice can only be rendered once an attorney licensed in the state in which you live had the opportunity to discuss the facts of your case with you. The attorneys appearing on the show are speaking in generalities about the law in North Carolina and how these laws affect the average North Carolinian. If you have any questions about the content of the show, contact us directly.